Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Steve Coolius. Steve has been a sports broadcaster for over 30 years and currently can be found hosting Power Play on the Sirius XM NHL Network Radio Channel 91, as well as co-hosting his own podcast, the Cool Button Hockey Podcast, alongside longtime NHL insider Craig Button. Steve is super passionate about hockey, with career statistics now estimated at hosting over 10,000 hockey shows. The red light is now on, which means it's showtime, and that means it is go time. Welcome, Steve, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you, and how are you? Andrew, it's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this since we uh, connected late in the season. Uh, it's the summer of Steve, like the summer of George. I got my, my Greek hat on that I got in uh, Naxos last year. I'm in Whitby, Ontario, the hockey factory of Newendike and Roberts and Primo and I guess Coolies too because I had two little uh, girls that ended up uh, making it in uh, CIS hockey. So uh, it's all good and I'm so happy to be here. Well, let's start with that. May I ask who makes up the Coolies household these days and what is everyone up to? Well, my uh, wife, after being uh, retired for 14 years, decided when the kids grew up she wanted to do something a trained graphic artist by trade at CTV and Bell Media and TSN. She is finance, sales, coordinating. She's in charge of uh, all their social media, does the videos like this for uh, Campkins. So if you need a trailer, a high-end trailer in Myrtle, it's worth the drive to Myrtle. Uh, and the two girls are doing well. Jessica Fortier Guelph plays hockey, a business. She's going to be in commercial real estate, big bucks in that. And Jacqueline's uh, finishing her master's and is a junior policy analyst for the federal government. Wow. Excellent. And uh, are they both still on the payroll, Steve, or, or are they out of the house? Um, Jacqueline's almost done. We're going to push her out on December 31st when she hands in her master's paper. Then she's into the real world. We told her to save like a young conservative. Now it's up to you to get a 90-year mortgage. Uh, and Jessica's got a year left before, I think, a year from now, she'll be working at this uh, company, CRB, pretty big company. So uh, we're proud of them. They've done well. We just want Jessica's at Guelph team to uh, win the national championship this year. You got a lot going on, and congratulations. Your family's obviously doing well. And congratulations to you, Steve. You made it to your summer break after the end of another NHL season and the draft day frenzy. Are you able to now tune out hockey for a few weeks, or must you remain tapped in at all times, 24-7-365? Well, put it this way. Let's say it's um, like the pioneers and they tapped into the maple trees to get the syrup. I don't have 15 buckets on 15 trees. Maybe I've got a couple of buckets just to make sure, okay, I, the brink it just happened. What's going on with Nylander and Matthews and the Calgary Flames? But for the most part, I, I'd liken it to when it's over. It's like the person that jumps off the cliff, you know, limp and then just falls into the water. And the stress, it's gone. The, as much as we love it, you know, we go to bed at one thirty, two o'clock at night, get up at, you know, 9.30 and just start working on the show. My daughter says, you work three hours a day. I said, yeah. The bag's under my eyes. I'm watching sharks, ducks is part of my job. So, um, yes, I'm going to enjoy the summer. I always do. My body's been used to this, Andrew, for 30, since TSN the first time, the score for 13 years. TSN, my body knows that it's July. Well, you are a Toronto boy. Let's go all the way back, get the Steve Coolius story. 
tell us specifically where you were born. And please talk a little about your upbringing. So uh, first gen- uh, generation immigrant family. Uh, my parents came separately uh, in like 1962. And obviously the least one that cup in 62, 63, 64. So my dad thought this is, I guess, the way it happens all the time. There was another one in 67, which is in and around right before they got married. Lived in the Danforth, you know, a house off Pape that I actually going to go see. Because I think I haven't actually seen it and memorized it since I was very little. Uh, so it was that on the Danforth upbringing. And uh, so I officially was born, I guess, at East York General. So Toronto born. We moved to Scarborough in December of 1969, uh, where I grew up and I'm still friends with a lot of the people that went to Belmere Junior Public School, Steve Brown, Tom Ozinski, Scott Monroe, Mike Midas, you name it. And we've been friends since 72. I remember vividly September 1st, 72, my great-grandfather died. He lived with us, you know, immigrant family, got everyone packed in. September 2nd, Summit Series started. We had a party at our house and it was the first game I ever watched. Canada, Russia, they were up to nothing and they blew it. I fell in love with hockey. That's what the kids on the street were playing. I assimilated and just did what they did. And hockey's been a big part of my life ever since then. My Scarborough roots of uh, Bramorton Drive in the early 1970s, Andrew. Steve, is it urban myth that apparently your father actually went to Moscow for games five, six, seven, and 8? It's a true story, man. True story. So I'm watching the games. I had morning kindergarten. So I'm watching the afternoon games with my mom. At first, trying to pick my dad out of the crowd, but then forget picking my dad. It's game five. It's game six. Like, so, you know, obviously, I wish I was a bit older, but I still get chills because at least Summit Series hockey was a real beginning of international hockey, which means I've been a part of that. I was there in 87. I was there when Crosby scored. So I've been a, a part of it. And yes, watching it with him, I didn't get the magnitude at the time because I was four, but at least I saw it and my memory still works of watching. Game eight with my mom in the video. Like, that's, I remember being just frustrated. Like, who's in charge of this? Who is this via satellite? Get another satellite instead of the via one because the via one's broken. But anyway, it's funny what you remember, Andrew. Now, you, of course, did attend Woburn Collegiate Institute, home to another past guest and friend of this podcast, Miss Monica Schneer. Your Woburn days, were you playing hockey at the time? I was because I wasn't really good. So if you play high school hockey, you weren't allowed to play SHA, which I did get a few call-ups and was happy. I was a late bloomer because my dad worked six days a week and then Sunday shopping came. So he's like, well, now I got to work every day to raise the family. Then, you know, I got a later start than what we called at the time, like the English kids, you know? So I was, you know, the olive kid and my started later, but I loved it. And then I played catch up to the point that I think in my peer group, I, I caught and passed those guys because I went to Bulber. Played three years there, was a captain in my fifth year, kids. We used to have five. I don't know why we had five years. Maybe to allow teachers to make more money, but I don't want to get into politics. But five years, only in Ontario, five years. And because we went to junior kindergarten, that group I told you, we were the first ever two kindergarten kids and then grade 13 graduates, which statistically I think we've done pretty good. So maybe we should have grade 13 and two kindergartens. But anyway, Wilburn was great. Best five years of my life, I'd say at times. Met all of our best friends again that we're still friends with. Sadly, we lost one of our f- very close friends, Paul Popolkis, uh, who was a big factor in all of our lives and went to Wilburn. We played football together. We were under the stadium at Birch Mount, our grade 12 year, and he said, this is what it's all about. This is what we watched in grade 9 and 10. And then we went out there and destroyed aging cards and played football, and I played hockey there. 
I have a picture of a goal against Laurier. That's my goal. I'm going to get it painted and put it up because the quality was from like the school newspaper. Wilburn was great. I still know the school song. We had a, an American type upbringing there, like cheer, cheer, like all that stuff. Uh, it was, uh, it was, we're very blessed and very lucky. Well, Steve, you did have a passion for Woburn, but you did not have a passion for wood. So instead of following your dad's footsteps with his furniture store, you attended the prestigious radio and television arts program at Ryerson University. Today, of course, rebranded as TMU, Toronto Metropolitan University. You actually played some hockey as well at Ryerson. Yeah, it was a very, to me, the accomplishment of starting late, like I said, trying to catch up to the other kids, maybe tying them in high school and then getting to Ryerson. There was a game at Centennial Arena. We were playing Laurier. We are losing 3-1 in the third. Ralph Rickard, the teacher, science teacher, came in. Uh, and it was just a beautiful execution. He comes in, says, okay, you know, this is it. If we don't win this game, you know, we're out. And, uh, oh, by the way, there's some scouts in the crowd. I'm like, well, no, I don't think so. My mom's there, some other people. But we did pack the place when it was the playoffs. So 2,000 people, pretty good. And he goes, there's some scouts here from Ryerson. He dropped some pamphlets, Andrew. And that got my attention. My ears perked up like Bugs Bunny. And I went, oh. And I went out in the third, two goals, one assist, three points. And we won. And then I got recruited. That, that's my highlight in hockey. Went to Ryerson, played. But I couldn't play hockey and pass school because they did. there was no symmetry. So I had English at nine, eight, but we had to practice. And then the game, it, it's not like today where the kids, oh, you play on the varsity team. We're going to work your schedule. They, they kind of blew it because I would have been able to assimilate our program with broadcasting and maybe sold this, all that kind of stuff. But it was 30 years ago. So the end result is uh, I did play. I'm very proud of it. I have a hockey DB page. So if you, I've made it like Duddy Kravitz. My credit's good here. I have a hockey DB page. So yes, I'm very proud that I was able to play at Ryerson. I'm trying to get a Ryerson sweater of the day. So I could put it in my hockey basement beside Iserman, Davos, and Ryerson. Ryerson Rams is so much better than uh, TMU Bold. I'm not yes. sure what that is. But Steve, I want to give you credit. You're you're a mature guy because you realize with this conflict, it was fun to play hockey and that was exciting. But job one was getting your education. And as you were at Ryerson, you had previously volunteered at a local Scarborough cable station. But your first real full-time job coming out of Ryerson, I understand, was literally four days after you wrote your final exam at none other than TSN, the Sports Network. Tell us about that. Last exam, April 27, 1990. I met with Stu Nickel. He said, um, we want you to start on May 1st. So if you're going to do Europe and backpack and go to the hostels, you got three days. I said, nope, I'm ready to work. Uh, and the friend I just mentioned, Paul, we played ball together growing up. And, uh, you know, Thompson Park and Agent Court and all those places, Cedar Hill. And then he said, what are you going to do? You know, work now? And I said, apparently, Paul, I have to for the next 42 years. That's just kind of the way it's supposed to go. So I started on May 1st with Scott Higgins. I was the archivist. Um, so my career started May for four days after we graduated. And Bob, Bob's your uncle. And for, so I'm a survivor, Andrew. I'm still, I'm still going. I got my first official contract. For $75 a day, not including unpaid vacations, $75 a day, $375 a week. You can do the math, kids. That's not a lot of money. So my mom packed my lunch when I went to work at TSN at 1155 Leslie Street, which was an old typewriter factory. 
I love it. And of course, you started behind the camera and you were at TSN for seven years, but then you moved in front of the camera, leaving TSN, joined the score as its lead anchor in 1997. How did you end up transitioning over to the score? Well, that was like going down an African safari. It was a rough ride. It was you're in the jungle. You leave the big TSN nest for this upstart company. You know, you wonder, was it worth it? I want to get on air. I always said I wanted to get on and kind of make it before 30. So I was doing that. But the place was just all over the place. And people were learning on the job. And we were terrible on the air. And the feed would go out. It was just this. It, but eventually, like uh, like the 74-75 Capitals, an expansion team that won like eight games, eventually we got good players and got better. And it kind of led to us being a very dynamic new entity kind of like the Montreal Expos in the day I like to think I was Tim Raines and we had Andre Dawson and all those people and we we made it so then you've got CBC TSN Sportsnet started and the score we turned into and I had a run there and for almost the whole run I was as happy as I could be doing hockey all the time I went to the Olympic everything that and it helped training change my life so I thank John Levy because he did make me semi-famous and he didn't make me semi-rich. So I have to understand, you know, that it, it worked. And I'm glad that I left. But I, it was a it was a leap of faith. It was not TSN, I'll tell you that much. Well, you were at the score for 13 years until 2010. And to me, that was its heyday. I don't think listeners appreciate, Steve, that the score was then. It was a highlights factory. It was a totally different way for a sports fan to enjoy things today. You know, the score is more, it's effectively a gambling brand. But talk a little about this heyday of the score. When once we got good and once we were rolling, you know, like they said, like the uh, the Expos back in the day, we were a factor. People watched us pregame, postgame, huge numbers. We invented the trade deadline. Whether TSN watched them in it or not, we, we've got the video. We were up and doing it. At, ask Anthony Ciccioni, ask Brian Spear. We had a guest in. I think our first guest in was like Dennis Bayak and then Scott Russell from CBC. And then when the first year ended, Anthony said, come in my office. The three of us went in. He said, next year we're going big. And we did it before TSN. And then, of course, they took over and everything. But there was a time our numbers rivaled and beat Sportsnet. We're two to TSN. I watched KRP and it was like, when they went to number one, Johnny Fever was number one. Look what I'm doing with Teenage Boys. I'm number one. I remember that. We were number two. So we would go to the score parties and yell, we're number two. And it was it was just a great place and champagne flowing. And these young kids were growing up and maturing and then getting married and having babies. And it was just, it, we were such a, we were in the game, man. In the game and special. And it was a special place to be at 351 King Street West. Oh, and you're right. You're getting my, my memory going and I'm emotional. So I'll start crying. It was, it was spectacular. Well, it was a great time for you. And in 2010, you rejoined the mothership TSN to join their NHL broadcast team. I suppose now this is Steve Coolius, the dream come true. I was having a great time at the score, but it was time to leave. The, the changing, they were trying to sell. And the goal the whole time was to come home. And I met with TSN a few times. So I, I knew it was happening and they wanted my show. And some people at the score said, I can't believe I'm watching HHT on that's hockey as on TSN. So coming home was huge. And if not, probably for losing the rights, I would probably still be there. So as soon as you lose the rights, everything changed. So the first year was the best. The second year, 
the show started to go overnight. So then we were doing literally five or six shows a night and got to the point where in the year we we're doing like 400 shows. So we were the factory that was spreading out and it wasn't sustainable. So coming home was great. It was exciting. All the rewards, Channel 9 Scarborough's 11 minutes the way I drive from Whitby. So all of that stuff was great. But then as it went along, it was a lot. And then the news came of losing the deal. So what I thought would be into retirement there ended up being four years. Mike Johnson and I were on the air and he showed me Bob McKenzie's tweet. Rogers has attained the NHL rights on a 12-year fight. And I looked at him like, what is that going to mean? And then that's where things started to change. And at that point, I didn't want to do the other sports. I was just into hockey. So I didn't want to go to Sports Center. I didn't care about anything about hockey. So to stay and do the show wasn't going to happen. I'd have to assimilate. I didn't want to work till 2 o'clock in the morning anymore. So then you have to feel your way out. And what The return was great at the beginning. And then you realize, what do you want to do? I got these kids playing hockey. I don't want to miss their life. And then that led to my NHL connection. So I, I kind of got lucky. But you'd like to think after my resume, if they needed a new lead guy to be the afternoon drive guy, then I kind of fell in. I was going to do radio when I was old and ugly. So maybe I'm old and ugly and I got into radio earlier than I wanted. In <laughs> well, you did leave terrestrial radio. And when you fast forward a bit, you ended up at Sirius. That, of course, being the Sirius Tim NHL Network Radio, which is now coast to coast to coast in Canada and the U.S., How'd you hook up with Sirius? And this must be just a, a totally different way of broadcasting. It is. It is. And, you know, people are like, oh, you're going to miss television. And, you know, we've added television elements as we're talking here now. Everything we do on the show, not well, not everything because it's a subscriber-based service. We, uh, we have a lot of links. We do the discussion room. That's kind of our square table. That's been a big hit. It's a video, YouTube, on the clock. And a lot of the other elements that we end up doing are out there now because the media's changed. Like if people want to listen to the show now, they listen at their time as opposed to waiting for Dallas at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Where's JR? Who shot JR? The world, as you know, in that way has changed. So I do have to thank some people, I guess, because at that point when you're out of it and unrestricted, Elliot Friedman helped the same way Adnan Verkt helped when I got nominated for the Gemini. Adnan said that this Chloe needs to be nominated. He's in that category with those people. So I want to give Adnan a shout out. But Elliot talked to a guy named Nelson Millman. He was in charge. He says he's out there. He's had the best hockey show on television. Give him a chance and he'll have the best hockey show on the radio. So I got to thank Nelson and Elliot. Uh, and I got into Sirius XM. And I just started everything all over again, but just radio. And the one untapped market that I fell into was the United States of America. And the thing about me being more of a, an American Canadian to a certain extent, they put their arms around me. And have loved me ever since, including the Grand Poobah himself, my friend, Mr. Gary Bettman. <laughs> well, it's good to have friends like that, for sure. And in addition to being on Sirius, Steve, you've got this great podcast, 141 episodes now of the Cool Button Hockey Podcast, along with Craig Button. How are you enjoying the world of podcasting? Well, I think that as you add podcasting to some of the other things that we're doing, you realize nothing at first is as easy or as uh, smooth as it's supposed to be. So there have been some times where it's like, oh yeah, triple overtime, we're up and doing the pod. But as soon as we're on and the red light is on, Craig and I were magic, we thought, on television. We've rekindled that magic as well in the podcast world. Uh, but as you know, Andrew, it's not just milk, Nestle Quick, or Coco, George Costanza, mix it, 
and then it turns out and let the good times roll. And, you know, it's work. Uh, it's fun. But like everything else, it's a challenge to grow it. So we're doing that little by little. Um, and I always said we always wanted to kind of try it and see what it was like. We'll see where it goes from there, as you know, because I'd rather try and see how things go than, than not try at all. And I guess I could add then TV, radio, podcasting, my movie with Olivia Newton-John, the score musical that came out, all of that stuff to this not bad career for an olive Macedonian Greek guy from Scarborough. So it, it turned out okay, I guess. It sure did. And we're going to talk about some of the very interesting parts of your career. And let's jump on the one you just mentioned. You are a noted actor with a film credit, no less. You played yourself in the 2010 Canadian film Score, a hockey musical. Steve, because you were playing yourself, shall I assume you used method acting to uh, bring out your best performance? Yeah, I guess if you're in broadcasting, you're a wannabe or fake actor anyway. Just Dire Straits said that. Uh, they want to be an actor, but they wound up here. So I just wanted to be a hockey player and I end up here. What am I going to do, Dad? Okay, number one, NHL, captain of the Leafs. Number two, I guess broadcasting. So, you know, and there's an acting bug, I guess, in all of us to a certain extent. Hey, they probably wanted Sherry. They probably wanted Ron, all these other people. It ended up coming down to us. And uh, Anthony Ticcioni, our president at the time, just said, uh, they're, the film and movie, uh, I don't much about it, but they want you or need you or need a guy. So I'm going to let you talk to the director, famous Canadian director, Michael is his name. I'm forgetting his last name right now, but he, they, he called. Uh, he chatted. They've already watched me. He said, you're going to play yourself. We're going to come to your set. We're going to shoot two scenes on the set with an actor who also was an actor in Schitt's Creek, right? He was the boyfriend of Levy's son, uh, Levy's son. So uh, he was great. He was the star. He was the Conrad David. And I did the two scenes. Nailed everything in one take, by the way. The two shot, his single, my single, because I've always credited myself on being a one-take wonder. And I loved it. They handed me a check for like three grand. I signed my life away. And then it was released in the theaters. I said, I thought this was a CBC movie. What movies have you done? And they said, we just finished shooting Fever Pitch. What? Drew Barrymore? I've been bamboozled. I could have at least got another dollar nine. Anyway, it worked out great. And to see it at the theaters with my kids at the time. That was fun, and then it went straight to video. But anyway, that's my story about acting with Olivia Newton-John. And you do have a film credit, as you've noted. Steve, you also worked with the great Bob Euchre, and your secret sauce was apparently bringing your calculator to the stadium. Yeah, I forgot about those days, actually. Andrew, you reminded me. So the Sky Dome opened on June 5th, 1989. My buddy, John Johnson from Ryerson, this is the thing about connections and being nice to people. He said, they need a stats guy on June 4th. And I was a baseball guy too back then because baseball was very close then to hockey for me. I think maybe the strikes and things changed my mind. But anyway, so he called me, says, you know, here's the thing back then, kids. He didn't ask me if I had a laptop or a phone. He asked me if I had a calculator. And I was a stats guy because we played this nerdy game called Appa Baseball, which I don't talk about because the chicks didn't like it. I was like a Dungeons and Dragons for baseball. So we've been playing that, and I was big on the stats and baseball abstract. So I bring my binder, I bring my calculator and uh, pencils, and I come right in, and Bob Euchre says, so you're the stats guy. Bob Euchre, pleased to meet you. Shake his hand. And I worked the that series, which led to me working all the series, Bob Costas, Ernie Harwell, and my calculator. I'm sitting there. So Paul Mulder gets out. His average, you know, it's an out. He's 0 for 1. I get my headset. His batting average is now 306. 
and I brought information about the dome, the roof being open. It was so much fun. And I got well paid way back then when my friends were making three bucks an hour. I was guaranteed 15 bucks time, 10 hour shifts. But the game's over in two and a half hours back then. And uh, it was a great gig. The Sky Dome was a great gig for me. You're living the highlights. And as you know, Steve, you also did work with the great Bob Costas. I think this was one of the, during one of the Blue Jays uh, American League Championship Series. Yep, yep. It started poorly. I picked him up at the airport. Then they sent me back to pick up his wife. Uh, they weren't friendly. And then I kind of spoke, you know, as a 21-year-old kid when I shouldn't have. You know, I got the stats on that. I worked with Bob Uecker, blah, 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 blah. So they looked at me and said, you're not a stats guy here. You're just an intern, basically, making four bucks an hour for that gig. Uh, and then I threw stuff out there and like, let me look at your notes. Let's see what you got. So Bob kind of liked that. Then he kind of, he was going through something with Vin Scully because Vin wasn't giving Bob props when he filled in for Bob. And that bothered Bob in the Giants series with the Cubs. So I heard all of this and I was taking it all in and we became friends. Uh, and I talked about hockey and he's like, ah, oh, hockey will never make it in America. They only got Gretzky Lemieux. And when it was all said and done, he said, Steve, and he gave me a ball, which I have downstairs. It says, to Steve, good luck in the booth, Bob Costas. Fantastic. And when you talk about broadcasting legends, anyone from our era would also think of, of course, Foster Hewitt. Steve, you met the late, great Foster Hewitt. God wanted me to meet him. God wanted me to meet him. Uh, it was a Blue Jay rain delay, which, you know, they can't have now. And uh, people would actually stay back then and, you know, read a book because... You're not on your phone or anything. I was going to go one way, and I decided to go the other. For whatever reason, hot dog bathroom, and there he was. You know, older, frail, and I went right up to him. I said, Foster, Foster, I love you. You're the best. You're the best. Can I have your autograph? And he had a big pen, yellow big pen with the blue cats, if you remember. They weren't great pens. Um, but if you remember those pens, you were like, in school, I'm not taking this pen. I want to get the pen that self you know, you can remember the one you can erase. They made a pen that you can erase, kids, if you remember that one. But I'm left-handed, so I would smudge my writing. So I have to use a pencil. But anyway, so he had the pen, and then I grabbed something. I, I don't know, Dominion ticket or whatever. And he said to Steve, all the best, Foster Hewitt. And then I talked to him about hockey. And I this is 1980, by the way. I was 12, and he said, I said, what's going on with hockey? The Americans are taking over. And he looked at me in 1980 and said, Steve, the Americans took over a long time ago. And I went, oh my God. And think about where they were then and where they are now in comparison. And I blame ourselves a little bit. We're too passive. Toronto and Montreal should have done more to control the league instead of having ESPN triple headed open. No, the Leafs and Habs open every night. Oilers, Flames, double that. We, we were just so passive. The Americans are 13 colonies and we're empire loyalists. And sometimes I wish, remember I said I'm more American? I wish more were like me, where I would have said, we're not doing that. It's a dressing room, not a locker room. It's warm up, not more like all of that stuff. You lose your language, you lose your culture, you lose your identity. And maybe that's why the Americans have embraced me, because you're like one of us, loud and sometimes arrogant, Andrew. So maybe that's why they like me. And of course, a lot of people will want to respond to that by uh, referring to your good friend, Gary Bettman, when it comes to all issues, uh, U.S. and Canadian hockey. Steve, among your impressive career stats, in addition to the 10,000 hosted hockey shows, is actually catching a Dave Wingfield baseball bat. What is that all about? Well, I've kept it a secret uh, for uh, all these years. The video never has gone viral. 
And the people at TSN that caught the video at the time, um, they kind of have banked it in one of those uh, bank reels. If it happened today, I couldn't do anything about it. It'd be on TMZ and everything else. But this was a rainy September 27th in 1992 when the Blue Jays were in the height of their, you know, about to be back-to-back champions. The Leafs got good again under Cliff Fletcher. Doug Gilmore, Wendell Clarks. It was a special time in Toronto. We had gone on a trip to visit our buddy uh, in Kentucky. Then we went to Baltimore where Todd Stahlmeyer got his tickets for us and uh, two friends that we met at the uh, club. Uh, and then we went to New York to watch the Jays and the Yankees. Uh, and on the way up there, we ran into a, yeah, a, a ticket broker who gave us a great deal on these tickets right behind the Blue Jays dugout. It was raining. There was hardly anybody there. And then in the third inning, Dave Winfield swung and missed, which he often does and did, and his bat helicoptered beside me and a total stranger. Whack. So we jump forward and get there basically at the same time. And then I say to him, let, let it go, we'll split it. As soon as he let it go, I thought, finders keepers, losers weepers. <laughs> and I held up the bat. And now the place is starting to buzz. And at the time, I was wearing a leaf shirt. I look at Dave Winfield in the eye and I go, well, I know the rule. You want your bat back. So I jumped on top of the dugout, which was a no-no, which they would have annihilated me had that been a night game. I handed him the bat. He handed me, you know, here's my backup bat, and there's my moment, and I point to center field, and I do the Babe Ruth. Now, the Americans again, they lose it. They go crazy. They love it. Security swarms me, and I hear them, take him in and get the bat. He'll get it after the game. But the first guy there said, you're lucky this wasn't Friday night, or we would take you to the center field bleachers and pound the crap out of you. I thought... (laughs) And I acted dumb. I went to the I didn't know the rules about a dugout. What's a dugout? I think I said. I like dumb. Um, the game was on CTV. It was called by the late great Don Chevrier, right? Remember him? Yep. And with uh, Tommy Hutton, they did the game. And uh, I got the bat afterwards. It did go crazy across TSN. I was on Nancy Zinos, my Scarborough Gable friend's CNN show. She was, I know that guy. And the anchor was like, yeah, right, you do. Had that been today, it would be on Twitter, TikTok, everything, but I've kept it a secret. Um, but I guess I maybe next year I'll just put the video out and say, I can't keep a secret anymore, everybody. We must see the video, Steve. And where is that bat today? That video is in the basement beside the bat that is on the wall beside all my tickets. Baseball, World Cup, Stanley Cup Finals, of course, Olympic, closing of the gardens, opening, closing of the forum, all those things. The Steve Eisenman autograph, 2002 Olympic sweater, my Davos from the Spengler. So that's, everything's down there safe in my hockey basement. A friend of mine said, you've got a lot of stuff. You should do your basement and put this stuff up. Or are you going to die with it in boxes? And I took his advice. And now it's a great talking piece. And people love to come over and talk hockey or baseball in the hockey basement. Excellent. I'm glad you got it all posted up. Steve, you hosted the interactive radio show live from Wayne Gretzky's, which presumably was recorded from the now dearly departed Wayne Gretzky's restaurant in downtown Toronto. What was that experience like? And was Wayne ever there? Wayne would pop in uh, periodically once he was just sitting at the bar. Imagine walking in, quiet afternoon, Wayne's at the bar, and a little kid just goes up to him 
and that he says that that Wayne's here and he's like not here he lives in LA he's not here and he was so there's Wayne now with a gathering little crowd and his dad was there all the time his dad just walked in and one day me and Ludzi were there and he walked in we put him on the air we had Matt Sundin in there one day after the lockout and it, the place was packed and and some days the vibe from there was as good as anything I've ever done because you're on with Mike Fisher Mike Johnson or Dennis Potvin and you name it. And it was just a, it, it was great for me. And I probably did at that stage as the kids were younger, probably worked too much because that was like a Saturday. Um, but I was kind of a workaholic and they weren't in hockey yet. If they were in hockey, I would have said, I'm not doing the show. I got a, I got a game against Kingston tomorrow. Uh, but it was a great experience to add to all the stuff we were doing. And Wayne Gretzky's, for those who remember, was a snowball's throw from the score. So from our, we could see Wayne Gretzky's as I talked to Fridge and Spiracy from the balcony. So I could just walk over there and, and do the show as well. So it was, as you mentioned, going back to the score, a special time. Uh, and that place was, it's sad that it's gone. It's sad. It was a Toronto iconic place and so many great nights in there. I agree with you 100%. It wasn't just a, a thematic place. It was a really very interesting, ahead of its time place. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Steve Coolius, please check out the more than 150 additional episodes available anytime. We got Michael Landsberg, Steve Simmons, Jesse Fuchs, Jerry Dobson, Scott Morrison, John Shannon, Ken Reed, and Nelson Melman. How they did it directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7-365, wherever you get your podcasts. Steve, you did the play-by-play for the Toronto Roadrunners for their only season in Toronto, 2003-2004, playing out of what is now the Coca-Cola Coliseum at the CNE Grounds. They were the American Hockey League affiliate, not of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, it was weird. The whole thing was weird. And it directly led to the Leafs bringing the St. John's Maple Leafs to Toronto. So John Ferguson Jr., that was one of his first things. And it was great to be, I mean, you talk about not selling furniture or not making the NHL. So I've always wanted to be in hockey. So what do you want to do? Well, you want to be, at that time, if you're old enough, Ward Cornell or Dave Hodge, or you kind of want to be, Bob Cole, or you want to be like Pat Marston. So you kind of, you're doing the local sports or you're, you're hosting or you're doing the play by play. So you come up and you want to be good at all of it in case something comes up. So I guess I was okay at all of it, but I thought obviously face and voice of the Leafs would be number one, the Roadrunners came. So to be their guy, and that means like hosting a charity event. That means doing the games, having my own booth. Being the guy, knowing the boys, going to the dressing room, you know, all that stuff was great for the year that I did it. And that's where I said, okay, if this is possible to do this job in Arizona or to do this job at the time, pre-Seattle, pre, you know, I would do it and move at that point, the young family. Then as you get a bit older and there might be an opportunity, you're like to take them out of grade nine or 10 with their friends. But to do the Roadrunners that year on and off the ice was phenomenal. We had a blast. I'm still friends with Steve Aliquette. He works for the New York Rangers. You know what I mean? We had Bergeron make the NHL and play for the Edmonton Oilers. There's guys on that team that played and that made it and have gone through it. Marty Wolford, guys like that are are, are on an NHL bench. Others are scouting. So uh, the roller, I had that sweater up in the basement. I took it down because it's like a museum. You have to move the merchandise. I might paint the Roadrunner sweater up again, Andrew, because of you. Well, apparently a dispute with building officials resulted in the relocation of the franchise to Edmonton after only one season in Toronto. Although, rest easy, Roadrunner fans, the logo and name came back when the AHL Springfield Falcons moved to Arizona 
and became reborn as the Tucson Roadrunners in 2016, who of course today serve as the NHL affiliate of the Arizona Coyotes. Steve, I scanned the roster of that 2003-2004 Toronto Roadrunners team, and the only name I recognized was Rocky Thompson, whose main achievement was getting just shy of 200 penalty minutes. Rocky ended up becoming a pretty darn good coach, and he uh, is he's credited with inventing spreading the defensemen out on the blue line to allow the four checkers or the wingers to not be able to go from D to D, and by spreading it out, the D would shoot from the right boards, picture the blue line, and then the other team's bench across the blue line to open up the zone more. That is apparently a credit to Rocky Thompson. And you're right, and you'll remember some of the names a little bit from, you know, like C. Balakay was like a third goalie, so he'd be up and down and play in the NHL. I mentioned Bergeron, who had played. You mentioned Rocky Thompson. He was a great guy, a bear on the ice, a teddy bear off the ice. Uh, and when he would drop the gloves and fight, the fans did love that too. So, yeah, the roster wasn't uh, starstruck by any means, but uh, you'll remember some of the players from their short time in the NHL. Uh, and we did call a game when the St. John's Maple Leafs came on the St. John's Maple Leafs were the Wellwoods, the Coliacabos, et cetera, that eventually would become NHL players. So uh, that game obviously was crazy. You're in Toronto with the Leaf affiliate playing the Oilers affiliate, which is your tar- team in Toronto. It's kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of weird. Definitely some weird times. I'm glad they got it all straightened. One of your highlights, Steve, was covering the Vancouver to 2010 Olympic Winter Games. Now, was that just hockey or were you covering other sports as well? Well, I was there by myself. So as Bell Media and Rogers and NBC come out holding the flag of, you know, the Bell Media flag and there's thousands of people behind them, on-air people and Duffy and all that kind of stuff. When I came out, I was like, and from Zimbabwe, cooling. So I, I come out just me, you right? So they said, you're there to do the hockey, but if you can cover off anything else try to do so. So I was able to move around a little bit, uh, some skiing, some curling, women's in it, hockey, everything else. But for the most part, I was doing men's Olympic hockey and got to see, I think they played 33 games at the end. I probably got to see 30 of them in person, um, including Yager and Ovechkin, bang at center ice. Obviously the gold medal game, I'll never forget it. Uh, and the vibe in the city from from day one, you, you get off the plane, you can touch the atmosphere and, and the excitement. It was two of the best weeks of my life. And um, just, you know, in doing this podcast, I realized I have a pretty good life. I'm very blessed. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Mom and Dad and everything else because there's so many things that you forget about that realize. But Vancouver 2010, man, and obviously it ended the right way for those on this side of the border. What a day. What a game. What a moment. My dad was there when Henderson scored. And I was there when Crosby scored, and we talked before the game. And he said, Canada needs a Phil Esposito. Who's going to be their Phil Esposito? I guess maybe it ended up being Jonathan Taves. Uh, but it was it was a special moment. Well, that is, that's amazing when you, talk, when you lay it out that way. Your dad being in Moscow for Henderson's goal, and you being in Vancouver for the golden goal. Steve, I want to ask, being on Sirius XM, as you know, this opens you up to a much wider audience. Do you get feedback from... American listeners, but also perhaps European hockey fans. We do, which uh, you get an email from Switzerland, you get an email from Germany. I don't know the technology. On your phone or laptop, you can almost get anything. And that's the great thing about Sirius, and that's the great thing about connecting to new people. And the one thing, again, about the Americans, they're more 
into, I guess, fame or, or stars like Canadian, you know, Rush. Rush has been, oh, because the Americans, you discovered Rush after their third band album. Oh, you know, you should have known after their first album. So that's how we are as Canadians. We didn't really love Gretzky until, you know, Dick Meadows ripped him and said he'd be the fourth line center on the 47 Leafs if you are of our age and you remember that. So for me, it's opened up a whole new audience. And and yes, they email because on my Twitter, I got my email address. So they just go on my website. So they just get on there and they'll just say, Steve, I got some ideas to change the game. Or when are you going to come to Long Island and we want to meet you? Or we met you in Nashville and this kind of stuff. A couple flew out from Anaheim to go to Florida just to meet us at, a, at an event. You know, where Canadians are more again, the Empire Loyalists, the hey, you know, I enjoy the show, but I'm not going to say anything. So they're more outward, which is their personality, which is mine. So yes, it's opened up for, you know, people in uh, Czech, Czechia now, Finland, uh, I mentioned Switzerland, and then the Americans as well, whether they get back to you on Twitter, whether they're angry or not, they're mostly, if you rip their tea and they get angry, but the good ones know, you know, I just say like it is, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I've doing, done it for 33 years, so I must be doing something right. But yes, and I'm a people person, so I love meeting the people. In St. Louis, we did a show from a bar, Obi Clark, they just showed up and we're doing a show with strangers who later then become your friends because they're listening to the show. It's amazing. Well, it is amazing the exposure you've been able to have. And in that, over your long career, you've met lots of celebrities, lots of athletes. You know the old saying, sometimes you don't want to have met someone who you kind of looked up to because it becomes such a disappointing interaction. It makes you feel like you wish you hadn't met them. Let's start on the positive side. Who have you met, athlete or celebrity, that actually exceeded your expectations? We've had a few people that we've met along the way. Obviously, I had met Wayne before, but Wayne still is in that category of you kind of go, you know, Google Gaga when you meet him and you want to talk to him and you want to be his buddy, but you don't want to come off too much. And then you want to stand off a little bit and just not be, uh, you know, a fanboy. But the um, Dom Draper, the star of, what's that show called again? The uh, Mad Men. Mad Men, yeah. He and John, John Hamm. John Hamm. He just ended up being a regular guy. And we came back from an event and he was just standing there. My producer, Bruce Bolton, senior producer, great guy, friend. He's friend first and foremost. We've become very close. He said, uh, I'm going to go have a smoke over there. And I didn't want to go in and he was there. And it was with John Hamm. So then I came over. You know, I, sometimes I'll have a dart socially. I don't really, but I thought, great way to say hello. And he was just a regular guy, just a reg, just like he was your buddy. And he had a couple of drinks, as we all did. And he exceeds expectations about being snobby, leave me alone, all that stuff. That was in St. Louis as well. Uh, and, and since he's a big name, so that was kind of like a, a great wild moment. Uh, and then I'll see you at the game. I'll see you at All-Star. Uh, we saw him the next day and it wasn't, you know, like we're buddy buddies, but he's like, Hey guys, like it's me, John, you're smoking buddy from the night before. So I got a picture with him. It's just him with his arm around me. Like he's my big brother and he didn't want to leave. Like, you know, he couldn't, it was, so I, I'm a shadow to a real person in John Hamm. That's great. And John Hamm, a very noted St. Louis blues super fan. Let's go to the other side of the coin, Steve. You don't have to name names if you don't want to, but who was the most disappointing athlete or celebrity interaction you've had? Well, I say that it's a, a celebrity who's not an athlete, who just some people, there's a reason some people aren't standing and some people couldn't be prickly. 
Uh, and this one person's been prickly since day one of meeting them. They're still out there doing very well and um, very recognizable. Somebody told me maybe they thought you were a threat from day one, so they just wanted to do what they could do to keep you under my thumb, Mr. Jagger. So anyway, I've taught the kids that no matter what you do, some people will like you and some people won't. So you can uh, leave the toxic people on the side of the road and enjoy the people that you like to be around with on the other side. And of course, all my listeners are yelling out, who, who, who? Do you want to name the name or we'll just move on? I will not name the name, but you know this person very well. The worst interview you ever did was with former NHLer Chris Drury. Yes, excellent research by you, Andrew, to know some of these things. He came on, uh, and he's not the guy, by the way, because he's an athlete, so I said that this person wasn't an athlete um, or a movie star. Uh, he came on, and he was just a jackass from day one. And really what I said was, Chris, doesn't sound like you're into this. Uh, I know you're a busy man, so thanks for your time. And I probably would do it now, since I've been at Sirius longer. You get to know more people. You have connections in your own building, which is important. And with management, they got your back. And then with the the league. So basically, uh, he's banned. He's not coming back on until he apologizes for what happened. And right after his interview, Bill Daly called me and said, I'm apologizing for Chris Drury because he was an asshole. Well, for whatever reason, you'll see why it was so awkward to listen to it. And again, those of our vintage, it was like when Jack Tripper spilt the ink on Terry's dress because they didn't want her to be the roommate. And we all went, oh, my God. So it's those of us who know that episode. We felt terrible. That's how, uh, how awkward it was. So anyway, for you kids out there, Google it. We have just met, Steve. But anyone who can drop a Jack Tripper reference, I am now joining you in allegiance. Chris Drury, officially banned from this podcast as well. Excellent. Who do you get mistaken for most often out there on the street? People still remember our days from the score. So somebody might say Sid or Greg or Cooley or whatever, just because we've been on so often. The TSN group was recognizable, although I heard one person yell to me, Gino, once. Maybe they were just being an asshole, too. I'm not so sure. I think they're like, I know that guy, but I know who Gino is. Oh, Michael Landsberg, which I take as a compliment because Michael was one of my heroes and idols. And I, I, I looked up to Michael when he was on TSN from the beginning, and he was a superstar. Uh, I always think about him in the battles that he's gone through, but he taught me a lot about voice projection. He said you should go to a vo- vocal coach. Uh, and I did. I went to one of his friends. Shalom, my good friend. Shalom, my good friend. Shalom. And that taught me figure, figure, figure. People know me. That was my kind of vocal warm up. And Mark Hefsher was great. I thought they were two of the very, very, very best. And I always looked up to him. And I got to work with both of them, which was great. And there's a lot of me and them and them and me. So I'm glad that that did work out. But those uh, were, you know, Michael was good because uh, Michael's a good looking dude. He's aged very well. So I, I like the Michael because I like him. I was just like, keep watching off the record, you know, and, and kept walking. Well, you stole from my next question. Michael Landsberg and Steve Simmons are also past guests and friends of this podcast. Hey, Landsberg. Hey, Simmons. Or hey, Cooley. Who gets stopped and peppered with questions more on the streets of Toronto? Well, I think Michael's the biggest uh, legend. And Steve, to his credit, was in the newspaper game for most of it. So I, I think the order, and Steve would agree to this, would probably go... 
hey, Landsberg, hey, Cooley, hey, Steve, in that order, and Steve had more FaceTime, then, you know, maybe I'd be the third Steve. I'm, I'm not too sure how that would work out, but we've all worked together. We've all been on the air together. Steve did a great job on our show when we did that talking tonight on TSN. I would say this much. I think, although we have people that always like us or don't, Steve's very harsh critiques at times would make him probably the least like people would probably if they see, see us together would go after steve the most because he'd say what did you say about the 92 blue jays or what'd you say about phil cat so and i admire steve for being that because he's got cojones for sure i was 97 Cito got fired the jays said we're not renewing his contract steve as a young reporter said to me i was young he wasn't he said no he's fired steve when your contract's not renewed you're fired they're just trying to be nice. And I went, okay. So I came back and said, Steve's been fired. And people discourse it. No, his contract wasn't renewed. So I said, no, here's how it works. So I, I learned from him. I like learning from people. And I hope I've been a good student. I hope my people at Scarborough Cable, Roland Borshirt helped me so much there and all the teachers along the way at Wilburn. I hope they, I always was trying to be a good student and a good person as often as you can be. But you live and learn. You were a good student. You are a good person. And I think it would be great as we kind of get to the end to close with some great advice to the youngsters out there. Maybe you want to share the excellent advice that you first received from one of your Ryerson profs, Dr. Jerry Good. Excellent research by you, my friend. Yes, uh, Dr. Jerry Good, uh, who would get mad and throw chalk sometimes uh, at the students in the back. Maybe me for talking once in a while. But at one point he said the line and he was basically about for broadcasters, but it works for any field. Someone out there right now is practicing. They're practicing the piano. They're practicing their slap shot or their back hit. They're practicing their French. Or in your case, they're practicing their hockey broadcasting. What are you doing today to further yourself and make yourself better? Not so you can get a job. Because when you graduate, you don't want a job. You want a career because if you find something that you're going to do and love, you will not have to work a day in your life. So do you want a job to pay the bills or do you want a career to give yourself personal and mental satisfaction? That's for you kids out there. Excellent. You got to have the whole package. You got to keep working your craft. You are on your summer vacation, Steve. What are you working on this summer? And what can we look forward to as the hockey season resumes in the fall? This summer, I'm working on my golf game, which has actually never been better. Took some advice from my friend Tom Olazinski about not trying to kill the ball. If you're going to use a seven iron, use a six. So that'll mentally bring you down, elbow in. And my contact was too hockey baseball-like. So I've finally learned to ball strike and elbow in and wrists through the ball and it's done wonders for me i actually for me at a local course shot an 84 the other day with nine pars which was a record now that might end up being a 94 angus glenn a real course but for me that it makes it more enjoyable so I'm, I'm working on my golf game which i'm very happy about i really enjoy life on the patio as you know and i have been known to enjoy a molson but i also like to run and you know be a young fit you know i tell people i'm actually a 78 birth just to you know as we get older we gotta lie so i'm, I'm working on that i went to greece last year this year we're gonna go visit our buddy a scarborough buddy the smartest 
man I've ever met, Brian Meck, graduated U of T with 104, recruited by aerospace engineering companies at NASA, ended up being a scientist that invented an apparatus to put inside a dog so he could see. That apparatus was later put inside human beings. Second sight, he's done amazing things. So we're going to go visit our Scarborough buddy and uh, we're going to reminisce about our buddy who passed away. We're going to have a drink for him on his uh, dock. And we're going to talk about what we always talk about. He was there beside me on the Winfield bat, by the way. He's been beside me for everything. Best man at my wedding and vice versa. And we're going to talk about hockey and the Leafs. So we're going to enjoy some family time together in the beautiful state of Minnesota. I know it's not Greece. But we're going to have fun anyway, kids. I love it. Great summer ahead for you. Steve, where can we best follow you? Everywhere and anywhere. I have to do a better job with Instagram. I won't lie, but I don't want to be a professional on your phone person. So at Steve Cooley's on Twitter is the best way to follow me. That's got a link to the website. If you want to email me, DM me, and we can talk about anything. I love talking hockey. I love meeting new people. At Steve Cooley's is the best way to do it. And eventually I'll get off my wallet and write the $8 check and do all those things that I got to end up doing. But remember now, it's the summer of Steve. So Steve is decompressing, George. I'm decompressing. <laughs> you are decompressing. You can also visit stevecoolius.ca to enjoy the best of Steve Coolius in a three-minute, 12-second sizzle reel, which I recommend to everyone out there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Steve, it was great meeting you. Great hearing your stories. I'm so happy you're able to take a little break. Family's great, and I hope you enjoy your summer. I want to thank you for your time. Anytime, Andrew. This was uh, so much fun, uh, and the best I've ever been interviewed or the best research um, that I've ever seen. So it's Barbara Walters. Like, too bad I wasn't a real star like Connor McDavid, uh, and then I'd help you go viral. But anyway, Andrew, it's a pleasure to meet you. When I'm downtown... Next time, or at a Blue Jay game or something, Leaf game, I hope that we can have a pop. If you're into that, uh, I would like to meet you and uh, shake your hand. Uh, you do great stuff, and I'm very proud and honored to be on your show. Those are very kind words, and the pleasure was definitely mine. And to the listeners, on behalf of Steve Coolius, I am Andrew Applebaum, reminding you that showtime is go time, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.